Broadway Binge Podcast. This is Jeremy alone this week for a minisode where I will be discussing Flower Drum Song, the eighth musical by the team of Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein II. It's based on the 1957 novel The Flower Drum Song by Chinese-American author C.Y. Lee. So pretty quick turnaround there because uh, the novel is from 57 and it premiered on Broadway in 1958. Um, it also was performed on the West End and got a tour on like Pipe Dream, which we talked about last week, which had uh, none of those successes. And um, another sign that it did pretty well on Broadway is that it was adapted into a 1961 film, although unfortunately this was the only Rodgers and Hammerstein film that was not profitable. And it's one of the reasons why Flower Drum Song isn't remembered alongside, you know, the, the greats of the Rodgers and Hammerstein canon that we think about, you know, South Pacific, Oklahoma, Carousel, Sound of Music, um, King and I, those sorts of uh, films. We don't think of this on those same lines, but um, just because the movie wasn't that great, and I did watch the movie and I didn't think it was that great, the musical itself allegedly was much better than the movie, and it was a hit, it was pretty successful. Um, it only ran 800 performances, you know, which isn't as long as some of these thousand plus runs of the other Rodgers and Hammerstein shows, but it was the longest running musical of the 1958-1959 Broadway season, so definitely a success, and it was pretty well reviewed as well. Um, the reviews might not have been as good as Redhead, the Gwen Verdon uh, vehicle, basically, that won Best Musical that year at the Tonys, but it was definitely well-reviewed, um, even if it hasn't been revived as much since, both because of the poten potentially problematic elements of it, not even potentially, there are problematic elements of it, and also it's difficult to get an all-Asian cast to do the show, and even though uh, Broadway and community theater troops around the world tend to uh, really not care that much about like, oh yeah, sure, we'll just whitewash all the characters in West Side Story. Uh, for whatever reason, Flower Drum Song, maybe just because there's not as much of a hunger to put it on, there hasn't really been the issue of it being heavily whitewashed, maybe in part because it's it's so completely an Asian cast. All the characters are Asian, really, except there's like a white mugger at one point. Um, so there hasn't... It, it doesn't sort of come up if you're like in a community theater in Kansas. It's not going to occur to you to do flower drum songs, so that's probably why it's escaped uh, some of the uh, uh, bad whitewashing that we see a lot in other uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein shows. So it was a pretty decent-sized hit at the time, and I had already been planning on talking about it uh, this week because I was going to record a mini-sode, and this is you know the final Rodgers and Hammerstein stage show that came out while they were alive, that we aren't covering or that we haven't covered for a main episode. So I was already going to discuss Flower Drum Song and I watched the movie a week and a half ago. But interestingly, in the week and a half since I watched uh, the Flower Drum Song movie, there have been more articles online written about Flower Drum Song and discussing Flower Drum Song than probably any time since Flower Drum Song came out in 1961 and since the internet was invented. This is the week of people talking about Flower Drum Song and that's because... This happens to be the week that Crazy Rich Asians came out, which is a fantastic movie that I highly recommend seeing. Um, and don't worry, this is going to be, we're going to talk a little bit about Crazy Rich Asians, but mostly in the context of talking about Flower Drum Song. I won't do any spoilers. It is a romantic comedy, so I mean, you can probably guess how it's going to end up anyway, but like, I'm not going to spoil that at all. I only say, I recommend that you go see that movie. It's really fantastic. And the reason why Flower Drum Song has come up so much in the news lately is that uh, there's, uh, it's widely reported that Crazy Rich Asians is the first Hollywood movie starring a pretty much all or predominantly um, Asian cast or Asian-American westernized Asian. I've seen it phrased in a lot of those ways because really there's very few 
characters um, in the movie who were born in America. It's mostly people who were born in Singapore and thereabouts. But um, typically, whenever Hollywood does a movie about um, Asian, uh, a movie that has mostly Asian actors, it's like a movie that takes place in ancient China or Japan, or it's some sort of martial arts movie. But this um, is the first time in 25 years since 1993 when uh, the Joy Luck Club came out that there's a movie starring, uh, made by Hollywood starring pretty much all Asian actors, and that's a huge thing. You would think there would have been more in that period of time, but no, there really haven't. Um, it's also one of the first times in ages that we see a male romantic lead of Asian descent in a movie, Crazy Rich Asians. And when, you, uh, when I'm reading these articles, now I haven't seen the Joy Luck Club, but it seems that this is the first movie, Crazy Rich Asians, since Flower Drum Song to have the main romantic couple be both Asian. And it also seems, although like the news articles aren't as certain on this because they didn't take the time and expense to go through the research this would entail, but while lots of news articles are reporting authoritatively that Crazy Rich Asians is the first time since Joy Luck Club 25 years ago to have an all-Asian cast in a Hollywood movie, um, it seems that the previous example of this before Joy Luck Club was 1961's Flower Drum Song movie, and it seems that before Flower Drum Song, there had never been a movie like this. So there's only been three movies made by Hollywood starring all Asian casts that take place in the modern day, um, which is insane to think about. To the, so Flower Drum Song definitely has its issues, but it also is sort of very progressive in a way. And rather than just having me as you know like a random white guy talk about this, I'm lucky that all these articles have been coming out, so I can basically just read to you quotes, you know, by Asian American professors and um, journalists about the complicated legacy of this. Uh, original movie. So I know we're sort of skipping the musical itself and talking about the movie. We will talk about the musical. We will go over the music. But since this is sort of the headline of this podcast, I'm just going to go over. There's a fantastic NBC News article online um, talking about Flower Drum Song specifically um, in the context of Crazy Rich Asians. There's a quote, they quote um, quite a bit from Heidi Kim, who's an associate professor of English and comparative literature at uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And she's actually wrote two years ago an article just about flower drum song and its complicated legacy. And uh, she points out, quote, it was, pro- it was probably the portrayal of Chinese Americans that more Americans saw than anything else. And there's a quote here as well from David Henry Huang. Um, apologies if I'm not pronouncing everyone's name correctly. And David H- Henry Huang is notable for our purposes because in 2002, there was a Broadway revival of Flower Drum Song, the only one, where he completely rewrote the book from the ground up. They had to keep the songs and lyrics the same as per the Rodgers and Hammerstein organization institute whatever it's called but he was able to completely rewrite the book and he mentions that when he was a kid he avoided any movies or tv shows with Asian characters quote I developed this instinct for knowing that what I saw would probably make me feel bad and I wouldn't know how to analyze it any further than that as a kid but flower drum song it was a virtually all Asian cast and it had an actual romance between an Asian man and Asian woman which we still don't see much of today and it had an Asian male romantic lead which we still don't see much of today end quote so this was pretty groundbreaking representation for Asian Americans. Yes, it was written by two white men, though it was based on a book, uh, a novel by a Chinese American author. So it wasn't anything close to what, like you know, the ideal situation would be. But in nineteen six in the nineteen fifties, really, when the book and musical uh, stage musical came out, and then sixty one when the movie came out, this was sort of all there was, which is not great, and I'm not. It's all suggesting that's a good thing, but this was the best that we kind of had when it came to Asian American representation in mass culture, and it was the best that we would get for over 30 years until 
the Joy Luck Club came out, which again, I haven't seen, so I don't know if that's a good example or not. But Now, there were issues with it. Um, Rodgers and Hammerstein tried really hard to avoid using any stereotypes. They, you know, they based it on the book. They tried, but, you know, it's, it's, they did not really succeed. And um, here's a quote from Peter X. Fang, who is the uh, Associate Professor of English, Women, and Gender Studies at University of Delaware. The musical has a very simplistic version of assimilation, namely that the immigrant generation is 100% Chinese and doesn't understand the American-born generation, and that the American-born generation is completely uninterested in Chinese culture and completely wants to assimilate. And he also notes that the novel was more nuanced than this. And then here's another quote from Nancy Wang Yuan, who is the author of Real Inequality, Hollywood Actors and Racism. And she says that uh, the themes in Flower Drum Song remind her of the 1927 musical The Jazz Singer. And that was about a young man defying the traditions of his Jewish family. And it's a traditional American story of old world versus new. So Rodgers and Hammerstein were sort of able to take this story that is from a culture that they don't really know anything about, but contextualize it in a story that lots of Americans uh, knew about. And another, here's another quote. White ethnics once upon a time were new Americans coming to the country and exploring identities and trying to find out what it means to be American. And the movie Flower Drum Song was an, expl- an exploration of what it means to be American again. So they were able to sort of see the universal in this, uh, this experience that a lot of Chinese immigrants and their children who were you know, born in America were having. And while it's sort of written from an outsider's view, sort of use San Francisco Chinatown in sort of a touristy way, um, like the song Grant Avenue is about, you know, you travel to Chinatown in a trolley. It's sort of not written from the perspective necessarily of someone who lives in the San Francisco Chinatown, which is where this takes place and where all the characters actually were from. We then uh, can sort of turn to a musical that is, you know, came out on Wednesday as of the time of recording just a few days ago. And that is Crazy Rich Asians, which also is sort of about people who were born in China versus people who were born in America. You have uh, the main character played by uh, Constance Wu. The character's name is Rachel Chu. And she was born in America, but her mother had come from China. And that sort of is a major plot element in the movie when they go back to Singapore. Um, and sort of the, you know, Singapore is a predominantly ethnic Chinese uh, city. And so you sort of have this very uh, complicated and nuanced situation where um, the, the mother of the male character in the movie, um, who's played by Michelle Yeoh, and um, her mother, who is the grandmother, incidentally, the author of the original Crazy Rich Asians novel, Kevin Kwan. So he, uh, the two casting points that he made to the producers when they were adapting his book, he said, I want uh, Michelle Yeoh to play the mother. And they said, yes, of course. And then he said he wanted uh, Nancy Kwan, who actually plays, uh, you know, like the, the nightclub dancer in the uh, Flower Drum Song movie. He wanted her to be the grandmother, but she looks way too young. The grandmother's supposed to be very elderly. You can see that when you go see Crazy Rich Asians. And uh, Nancy Kwan still looks, you know, very, even though she's like 69 or 70 or something, she looks very, very young, um, very good. So that would never have worked. Um, but... Basically, the family in Singapore of, um, you know, a super crazy rich family, and she's just this American uh, middle-class girl from New York. She's a professor at NYU, so she's very accomplished, but all they see is that, you know, she's an American. She's not one of us, and it's a very interesting movie, and and again, I highly recommend seeing it. I don't want to spoil any more of it, but it also sort of deals with some of these same issues that Rodgers and Hammerstein dealt with, 
but it deals with these issues from people who actually understand it better. Uh, the original author, Kevin Kwan, grew up in this sort of Singapore crazy rich home. Or I don't know if he was crazy rich, maybe just regular rich, but he definitely is um, familiar with this culture himself, having grown up in it. And then John Chu, the director, um, is American-Asian, but again, you know, much more capable of dealing with this sort of story than Rodgers and Hammerstein are. So um, if Flower Drum Song, you know, 50 years ago was an attempt, Crazy Rich Asians is the success. And I think it's just really, really interesting that I happened to come upon talking about Flower Drum Song at the same time that Crazy Rich Asians came out. So with that, I guess we should actually talk about the musical itself, which, um, you know, it's, it's a shame that the movie wasn't that great because um, I've, I've heard, you know, from critics and reading online that the musical, the underlying musical is actually good and the 2002 revival might even be better because it was totally rewritten by an actual, you know, Chinese person and not as problematic as the original but the, t- the movie was not fantastic. There was a man, David Lewis, who wrote a whole book about the musical, and what he said about the movie is, quote, it was a bizarre pastiche of limping mediocrity. And he also commented that um, it's really a shame that the film would, in future years, come to stand for the stage musical it's so crassly misrepresented, and that it would serve as the version that academics and latter-day theater critics would judge when they analyze the musical. And unfortunately, that's what I'm about to do. I'm about to judge the musical based on a, a not-that-great movie. The movie and the musical, the stage show, were both directed by Gene Kelly. Um, and you know him from Singing in the Rain. We also talked about him. He was in the movie version of Brigadoon. And this was his first time directing a stage musical or a movie, so he was breaking new ground here. You can definitely see from the movie version, at least... I mean, we've already seen Robert Wise's Amazing Sound of Music and uh, West Side Story come out at this point, and we've talked about how just the quality of like the film and the shots and the angles look almost modern, and they look like they could have come out this year. Whereas um, if you go even a year earlier in these movie musicals, the, it's very static, just wide shots of a lot of people dancing in a row. And you can tell that Gene Kelly came up in that era of film that he starred in movies like that, the sort of older, less modern-looking movies that I talked about, because that is how he directs this. Um, you have situations in the movie, at least, where, um, like, there's one song, The Other Generation, which is just, you know, the dancing in a straight line facing the camera, the three Americanized children of the old father who grew up in China. And it's just very old looking. So, not great in that respect, in terms of just like quality is a motion picture. Um, but I guess getting back a little earlier to the musical itself. So Rodgers and Hammerstein were just coming off of two huge failures, which was uh, Me and Juliet and then Pipe Dream. Rodgers is an alcoholic at this point. He's checked himself into a mental hospital, came back out of the mental hospital, but was still an alcoholic. They were just kind of depressed, and all their early successes had sort of been overturned. And this was before, you know, Sound and Music kind of brought them back on the up and up. Because really, it was actually a flower drum song that brought them back on the up and up. It was a huge success relative to the things that had come just before, and it came from this book, which was sort of being written and had come out right before they were ready to go put a musical together. They had actually had a success on television with Cinderella, which uh, premiered in 1957 on TV, and then this came out a year later. But they hadn't had a stage success in a while, since King and I, I believe. And so C.Y. Lee wrote this book, which was, um, I don't want to say autobiographical, but it's about a community that he's very familiar with, a community that he comes from, uh, the San Francisco Chinatown. And so he didn't have success at first selling the novel, but his agent submitted it to um, a publishing house 
which then sent it to an elderly reader for evaluation. This is a funny story. Not funny, I don't know, it's weird. Um, the elderly reader who they submitted it to was found dead in his bed, and the manuscript beside him um, was sitting beside his dead body with the words, read this, scrawled on it. Um, and it doesn't say what it was scrawled in. I like to imagine it was scrawled with his own blood. This is actually, it's probably really grim. I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, um, his final dying wish was that he loved this so much. Maybe he loved it so much it gave him a heart attack of excitement. So uh, he told them to read this. The publishing house did read it, and the novel became a bestseller in 57, and they quickly turned the musical around, uh, which was a success. So, I mean, basically, that, that's all there is to say about it until we dive into the songs um, and the actual plot. I will also note first, so that the musical came out in 58, but the 1961 film came out the same year as Breakfast at Tiffany's, which has, you know, the terrible Mickey Rooney playing a Japanese man, like the most racist thing I've probably ever seen in a movie, and that might just be because I'm not watching enough racist movies, which isn't such a bad thing, but it's really bad, and it's unbelievable that they came out in the same year. It just shows how far ahead Rodgers and Hammerstein were of their contemporaries, in Hollywood. I mean, it's, it's night and day. So getting into the show itself, basically there is a father and daughter who come from uh, China. They immigrate because the daughter has been promised in a marriage contract to this one guy, Sammy Fong, who is a nightclub owner, but he's in love with the main nightclub dancer. Um, however, the nightclub dancer is actually in love with, sort of in love with this really nice boy, Ta, whose father uh, you know, is a really wealthy man who also immigrated from China, and he's very traditional. So Ta and his two younger siblings are very Americanized, and he wants to you know, date around and stuff like that, go to college and you know, just be a regular American. His father wants him to actually marry this girl who came in to get with Sammy Fong, because Sammy Fong wants to be with the nightclub dancer. So he says to the father, Wong, hey, why don't you set her up with your son Ta? Then I can get with the nightclub dancer, and everyone ends up happy. So we have this sort of love quadrangle, which is complicated into a love pentagon, because then there's another woman, um, also born in America, who is in love with Ta as well. So it's kind of complicated and not that interesting or engaging in movie form. But I'll go into some of the songs now. I mean, obviously, of course, by the end, everything straightens out and everyone is with a couple they're supposed to be with, except for the poor girl who's in love with Ta, the, the fifth element of this uh, pentagon. Of, she's not going to end up with anyone, unfortunately. I believe in the novel version, she actually committed suicide, but they didn't do that in the stage version or movie. She just gets a bizarre dream ballet, despite the fact that she's such a minor character. They give her like a 10-minute dream ballet where I was like falling asleep. So let's get into the music a little bit. None of the songs are my favorites, but there are some things I noticed. So the first song is called 100 Million Miracles, it's sung by uh, the main woman and her father. Um, they're doing a street performance when they first arrived because they didn't come with any money. They were illegal immigrants, which actually was not in the novel version. That was Hammerstein's invention, having them be illegal immigrants. Um, and it's shockingly relevant today. They're talking about, you know, we had to come illegally because if we'd come legally, it would have taken us 10 years to get in with the quota system. Also of note, um, talking about things that sort of have resonance today is a lot of the actors in the stage and movie version were Japanese actors who were in, who they were interned during World War II, and you know, in the infamous uh, Japanese internment that America did, and that has a lot of resonance today, you know, with, with the children being kept at the border, basically, again, internment happening in America. So, back to the show. I'm going to play a little bit of 100 Million Miracles for you, and because the point here is it reminds me a lot of the song Impossible from Cinderella, and I think you'll see the connection, um, and it's a sign, I always talk about how there's sort of the two eras of Rodgers and Hammerstein, there's the 
There's the early Oklahoma carousel sound, which sound kind of similar. And then there's the late Sound of Music King and I sound, which I say sound kind of similar. Um, and even though King and I actually came out before Flower Drum Song, I actually sort of am detecting this kind of middle era. I talked last week about how Pipe Dream felt a lot like some other Rodgers and Hammerstein middle musicals. And I think this song, 100 Million Miracles, sounds a lot like Impossible from Cinderella, which came out the year before. So here, I'll play a little bit of that. Yeah, so, I mean, are happening every day. It sort of reminds me of impossible things are happening every day. Very similar. Um, and the, even some of the middle parts, like in 100 Million Miracles, there's probably like, da, 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 which sort of reminds me of... But here, let me actually play a little bit of Impossible from the recent Broadway version, um, which friend of the pod, Todd Bonapane, was in. So here we go with Impossible. Impossible for a plain yellow pumpkin to become a golden carriage. Impossible for a plain country bumpkin and a prince to join in marriage. And four white mice will never be four white horses. Such four drone and fiddle-dee-dee, of course, is impossible. But the world is full of zadies and fools who don't believe in sensible rules and won't believe what sensible people say. And because these daft and dewy-eyed dopes keep building up impossible hopes, impossible things are happening every Yeah, so I mean, if I like had a piano on me and could play piano, maybe I could really do a you know like note to note comparison. Uh, but um, if you go back, uh, go back another, a couple thirty second chunks of this podcast and listen to a hundred million miracles again, and, and you really see that there are it's not like direct one to one, but there's some very close similarities I think between those two songs. Um, so that was you know my observation about that song. The next song I want to talk about is I Enjoy Being a Girl, which was really the only hit out of this show. It's not necessarily that this version from the album was a hit. It's just this has been recorded, you know, by several hit artists since then in the 50s and 60s um, and parodied as well. So this is sort of the one song you probably might have heard of if you haven't heard of any other songs from the show. So here is the uh, chorus, the sort of verse chorus main part of I Enjoy Being a Girl. So uh, this is from the nightclub singer uh, who is, you know, very Americanized. She talks about how she really likes being an American girly girl. Not really, the, the, the Americanness isn't really discussed in this song. It's really just straightforward. I enjoy being a girl. It could be sung by someone of, you know, any race, which it was, and that's why partially it was a pop hit. But in the context of the show, it sort of distinguishes her from the uh, the immigrant main character um, who, you know, is, is not does not yet have this bold, brash confidence that, you know, you sort of associate with America, or at least that Rodgers and Hammerstein associated with America, as opposed to uh, Chinese immigration. 
let's uh, move on ahead to talking about some other things. There was a song, Chop Suey, which if there is a problematic song in this musical, it is Chop Suey. It was sort of recontextualized. It's, it's about how, you know, American and Chinese culture have kind of melded to create things like Chop Suey, which is not a native dish. It was sort of created in America. But when they redid the show for 2002, uh, the book contextualized it as the characters sort of making fun of American perceptions of Chinese culture rather than it being sung, you know, like internally by uh, Chinese Americans and immigrants as sort of a celebration of the mixture of their cultures. Uh, it sort of was a little bit making fun of this in the mo- in the original version as well, but that's made a lot more explicit in the revival. But um, another one thing that is definitely worth talking about in the movie is that I've mentioned that the movie and the stage version, it's an all-Asian cast, no white people playing Asian people. However, there is a black actress who plays an Asian character, Juanita Hall, and you might remember her from also being in South Pacific. She played Bloody Mary, a Tonkinese woman, and now she's playing a Chinese woman. And um, it's, it's complicated because she was actually the first black person man or woman, to win a Tony for Best Supporting Actress in South Pacific. So, you know, that's very groundbreaking. She was doing it, though, playing an Asian character. And in this show, again, she plays an Asian character, and she's the only person to do so who is not of Asian descent um, at all. And um, one thing I also want to note in terms of, you know, Juanita Hall in the show is that Juanita Hall in South Pacific was the person who said Lutellin. So there you go. Once again, Lutellin comes back to the Broadway Binge podcast, my favorite character on Broadway. Um, So I'm going to play a little bit of Chop Suey just to sort of give you a sense of what it sounds like. Chop Suey, Chop Suey, living here is very much like Chop Suey. Hula hoops and Nubia war, Dr. Sock and Jajika Four, Harry Truman, Truman Capote and Dewey. This is generally this musical I think is pretty weak when it comes to Hammerstein and his like lyrical cleverness, but he does get to do some fun things in that song, like you know, like we didn't start the fire esque, you know, like naming things that were part of uh, pop culture and making them rhyme. Um, so there's that. In the movie, it's a really great dance. There's a lot of great dancing in the movie as well, but so much of it you kind of get bored with it by the end. Um, another interesting song is "You Be the Rock." Uh, which was there the characters singing a little bit of a rock song that you know they like dancing to because at this point it's you know the late 1950s early 1960s and only a snippet of it gets played in the movie but that snippet you know five six seven seconds is the only example that I think exists of Rogers and Hammerstein writing a rock song they sort of do it to make fun of it but I want to play that if I can find it uh, just to give you an example of what it sounds like because it's such a weird thing so you drive up the other night that's me who sing rock and roll i take that the most do you know you be the rock i be the roll sure you be the rock i be the roll you be the soup i be the pole you be the furnace i be the pole rock 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 roll 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 Ocean. yeah so upon reflection i don't know if that is actually rock music at all and it really just goes to show how out of touch uh rogers and hammerstein are but i i thought that was pretty hilarious um and uh, weird and unexpected um looking ahead 
The other song that I enjoyed, maybe the only song that I actually really enjoyed listening to is Don't Marry Me. And in the movie version, which is the version I'm going to play for you, this is sung by Jack Sue, who's a hilarious actor. Um, interestingly, his name was, uh, he was born as Goro Suzuki, and he changed his name, his last name, to Sue, not in order to please American audiences, but because he uh, started performing at a Chinese nightclub, so he didn't want to keep his uh, Japanese name of Suzuki, so he changed it to Sue. And then changing his first name to Jack, I mean, that was to Americanize it, you know. So um, he's really funny in uh, Don't Marry Me. And this is when he's uh, currently about to be forced to marry the uh, main uh, woman, the main character who immigrated from China, but he actually wants to be with the nightclub dancer. So he's trying to convince um, the main woman not to marry him. So here is Don't Marry Me from Flower Jump Song. Happy as a honeybee With a husband who will always love you Baby, don't marry me If you want a man you can depend on I can absolutely guarantee I will never fail to disappoint you Baby, don't marry me I eat lychee nuts and cookies in bed and I fill the bed with nutshells and crumbs I have irritating habits you dread Like the way I have of cracking my thumb My grandpa was a big game hunter He met grandma swinging on a tree If you want to have attractive children Baby, don't marry me I really enjoy that. Um, so that's basically all I have to say about this show. Um, I don't necessarily recommend watching the movie unless you just, you know, like, really want to be a completionist. But, um, I mean, yeah, and it's the sort of thing where, like, it's easier to watch the movie when you have, like, a Wikipedia tab about uh, Flower Jump Song open and you're taking notes and everything and occasionally crocheting instead of, you know, paying rapt attention. If I sort of just had to stare at the thing in a movie theater for two hours, I don't think I'd be able to handle it. But, you know, if you're looking for, like, a background thing to have on while you're cooking, or I don't know what you do while you have background stuff on, um, yeah, maybe give it a go. And if, if you have trouble finding a link, just uh, uh, tweet at uh, Broadway Binge. I'll DM you uh, the good stuff. Anyway, that's all I have to say about this. So if you really like this episode, maybe you came to us because you were searching Flower Drum Song or Crazy Rich Asians or something. Be sure to subscribe to Broadway Binge, where we talk about a lot more musicals, usually with my co-host Hannah, on any podcast app. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Broadway underscore binge, where you can join the conversation and leave us a tweet, which maybe we'll read on the air. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, which will help more people discover the podcast. So thank you all, and um, we'll be back soon, and probably with Hannah next time for a real episode. Oh,